0: Hi, Ramos. We are back with another episode, a very important episode. In fact, let me just start off by saying this if you're a new listener and you're not a Christian, the gospel is preeminent in all things. And if you confess, your sins, if you put your faith and trust in Christ and repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation, you will be saved. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is God will be saved. And that's what we're talking about today. We, we cannot start off a an episode of Christ and Kingdom where we're talking about the gospel and, even more importantly, the preaching of the gospel, the one true gospel without starting with the gospel. So wanted to start off in the most simplistic form of the gospel today, Ramos, as, as we dive right in. Um, how you doing? And what would you like to start with today in this very important particular topic about evangelism of the gospel?
1: Oh, doing great, Ryan. It's great to be with you, as always. Uh, And I'm very excited to talk about evangelism and the gospel, and I really appreciate uh, the way that you started us off there, because of course, there's absolutely nothing more important uh, than a person's own uh, standing before Christ, and whether or not a person has that relationship, that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. uh, even as I just exhorted our church, what, uh, this past week, yeah, you know, in a hundred years from today... (laughs) in a sense, right? Nothing else is really going to matter but whether or not you are in Christ and you know Him in a saving way. So praise the Lord for that. But yeah, so totally looking forward uh, to this one. Been looking forward to this one for a while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You need to close with Christ, as you often say at our Sunday gatherings, and, and we often hear from the Puritans. Close with Christ means to be clothed in christ and there is nothing more important on this earth we are all eschatological beings we had a beginning we will have an end eternity can't even call it time itself eternity is eternity and so having that eternal destiny secure and confident in him who saves is is more important than anything that uh that that we'll, we'll probably even talk about on the podcast right that is what matters that's ultimately why we're here so let's dive right into it when we think about evangelism and the proper sharing of the gospel what are the most essential components um of of that biblical gospel car right that as you like to say the the vehicle in which we're delivering the gospel what are those essential components that must be present for effective evangelism
1: Oh, absolutely important here, Ryan, and one of the reasons why uh, I have focused on this in the past is because I'm convinced that the evangelical church at large, you would expect better of Reformed believers and Calvinist churches, but evangelicalism at large is often radically confused as to what exactly is the gospel, um, what exactly are the essential Uh, components? And what exactly are those points that you must have when speaking to somebody about salvation in Christ? Uh, It's not enough to pray for them. Uh, It is not enough to get prayer requests from them. It's not enough to, uh, to invite them to church. It's not enough to simply um, relate to somebody or to have somebody in, uh, to you know, to be a friend to somebody. Those are all things that can accompany the preaching of the gospel. But when it comes to the issue of the gospel, even as hopefully we'll make it more and more clear as we go along here, um, <laughs> you know, we cannot get this wrong, right? We have to absolutely understand these components. And the very first component as we talk to people about this, is sin. Uh, we have to explain to them the plight of, their, of the sinner, the plight of their sinful uh, lifestyle, and we have to confront people with the gravity of their sin. We live in a very decadent world. We live, we live in a society that is remarkably, remarkably uh, blasphemous and rebellious uh, to God and to His law. And who just reject the knowledge of God. It shouldn't be surprising to us because we know what Scripture teaches. We know what uh, Romans chapter 3 teaches. We know that the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned. There's no one good, no not one. Everyone chooses their own way. Everybody has gone astray. There's no fear of God in their eyes, right? We know this based on Scripture because Scripture, of course, is expositing the nature of man, the nature of the heart of man. The sinful nature of man, the fallen nature of man, and the fact that, uh, that that people are born dead in Adam, and they're born dead in sin, and because of their sin, they are, uh, they are shot through with the guilt of Adam, the corruption, the moral, the moral corruption, the pollution of Adam, and they have to be redeemed, not for their mistakes— they have to be redeemed, not because they're depressed or they're upset or their psychology is off. They have to be redeemed because they have broken the eternal moral law of God. They have to be redeemed because they have offended a holy God, a God of infinite holiness and justice, who will pour out his uh, wrath upon them. It always you know, it always amazes me, Ryan, how it's even possible for evangelicals or Christians to ever attempt to weaken that, that, that message. Especially, especially, Ryan, Right? You, I, th- I know you would agree, especially when you look at the cross, and when we understand the gravity of the death of Jesus Christ, when we understand the, the gruesome nature in which Jesus died, when we understand the horrors of his suffering in our in our place, when we understand the, the just the, the gory nature of the cross, of an actual crucifixion, that this is not being done because man needs a little help. <laughs> this is being done because man is fundamentally lost. And as I used to tell a lot of college students when, you know, when I was doing evangelism at UNT, I would tell them, you know, Jesus died on the cross, a horrific death. Why? Uh, Not to be just one option on the table, (laughs) right? Jesus, God doesn't send his only son to die a horrific death on the cross. Just to be an option on the table of religion, and take your pick, he died on the cross in that fashion because there is no other way. And therefore, essential to the gospel and to a proper uh, articulation of the gospel is that sin is not reduced to mistakes, that it's not reduced to shame, that it's not reduced to dysfunctional lives and dysfunctional living, right? That it's not reduced to some sort of emotional trauma, that you're experiencing, or the fact that you're upset with the way that your life is going, circumstantially, but that sin sin must retain its forensic nature; it has to retain its its uh, legal character, or else you don't even understand why you're in such big trouble. <laughs> that that a total stranger has to talk to you about how to get right with God. What's the big deal if we can just rectify our condition through therapy? right and so that becomes an essential component i don't know if you wanted to say anything about that but
0: yeah you're you're spot on because think you know you think about it like this let's take isaiah 53 for example he was crushed for our iniquities crushed and so if we want to downplay sin and reinterpret isaiah 53 are we going to say he was put in time out for our you know, waywardness, our mistakes—you can't soften the gospel anywhere. Even look at at the, um, at the the Old Testament sacrifices, which point to Christ. Right? We're not talking about trimming up a little animal here and there and sending them on their way. We're talking about death slaughter That's right, right. It's it 's coming you know, and now we 're it and it points us forward to Christ, who is crushed for our iniquities, who cleanses us from all of our sin, because he was crushed, because he was the propitiation for our sin, and now because of that he 's our our, our mediator, right? Exactly. It, my little children, if anyone sins, we have a mediator with the Father. Paracletos, mm-hmm. right, is that word that's used mm-hmm. there, um, to come yeah. alongside. So because he was crushed for our sins, we can be forgiven. And that throws us to the floor, but it picks us up as, as well, right? Because the God of the universe, through Jesus Christ, right, chose to die on the cross for us. So we, we can't lose the essence mm-hmm. Of that, uh, or we will go down this route of, and we recently talked uh, like uh, about Christian reconstructivism, cr- reconstructionist point of view, and and that's it's one thing at a corporate level, but it's another thing at the individual level. Meaning that oh, you can just better your life, yeah. right, and no. and so on. Often what you get, no, so. that's
1: exact, that's exactly right. And actually, that would be the next thing that I would say, Ryan, is in terms of bettering your life. Um. What's after, you know, Not we don't just present sin and leave it at that, right? That's why I'm personally against any evangelistic approach that says, well, we just present the bad news to people, we give them the law of God, we give them the commandments of God, we leave them condemned, and then unless we find that they are receptive, we don't move to the next step. I personally reject that. I believe that our command, our commission, is to preach Christ crucified and so no matter what we do uh, in presenting the sinful condition of man in the violation of God's law we have to we have to then round that off with giving man the solution which is the cross and the cross is fundamental because it points people away from themselves there's no you you don't self you don't we're not preaching a message of self-improvement or self-empowerment right we we we're, we're preaching we're pre- preaching a message of death like you like you so adequately and correctly stated death there is there was a death and so that death is indicative both of the death of Christ on behalf of those that repent and believe or of the death the curse the judgment that will befall the sinner who does not believe right and and if he doesn't have the mediator If he doesn't have the advocate with the Father, then that person will stand on their own two feet, and he or she does not have the righteousness required to do that. They don't have the righteousness that is required to stand before God and to be accepted before him as righteous. Uh, That is a righteousness of what the cross is ultimately saying, is that cross, that death, that propitiation, which the word propitiation, of course, just means to remove the wrath of God from us, that propitiation, that expiation, to, to, in other words, to remove the sin and the guilt of the sinner, that work is done by a foreign alien uh, person and work. That is how we get to this alien righteousness that we hear so much about, because it is rooted in the work of someone else, uh, not in ourselves, and so the doctrine of imputation becomes critical. I just talked about imputation at church, and I mentioned that that there are three distinct imputations in scripture, right the imputation of adam 's sin to the human race, the imputation of the of the of the uh, people of God to the Son of God, Jesus on the cross, and the imputation of Jesus. Uh, upon his people, his righteousness imputed to us. And so our sin imputed to him, his righteousness imputed to us. And this is why the next step is not just the cross, but it's appropriating the cross by faith. And so a person then must be called to repent and to believe. And we have to be oh so careful when so many churches go astray. Uh, right at this fundamental point, they call people to a kind of life first. They call people to a kind of living first. They tell them to be the kind of person that goes to church, that prays for their meals, that devotionally reads their Bible, that, you know, uh, does religious stuff. But that's moralism. Uh, Just changing your behavior, Jesus said, you're just cleaning the outside of a cup. You're just washing a tomb. You're not dealing with the... when You're not dealing with a rotting, dying sinner inside. You're not dealing with a heart within. That has to happen through the phenomenon of conversion, which is through repentance and faith. Um, and not, not to give a whole ordo salutis here, but let me just mention one last thing here, Ryan, and that is it's not just calling people to repent. I would also add that in our faithful gospel presentation, we also have to give the promise of eternal life with Christ. Let me think about it, Ryan. How many times Jesus, in his ministry, in his life, in his teaching, how many times he offered eternal life to people. How many times he talked about eternal life? How many times he spoke about inheriting the kingdom of God? How many times he told his disciples what it means to enter the kingdom of God or to have eternal life? I mean, he offered life, and we don't want to get away from that, right? And so we always—and we need to be careful because I think in evangelistic or, well, pardon me, sometimes in Calvinistic circles— we can be so emph- we can be so emphatic about repentance and sin, and we want to just—because, you know, maybe we came from a seeker-sensitive background, and we're like, man, I miss this whole thing about sin and judgment. <laughs> and so we're correcting that, but we never want to overcorrect and leave behind the message of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. That is the heart of the gospel as well. And so, I don't know, I just think those—sin, the cross, repentance, and the promise of eternal life, I mean, those components must be present
0: in our evangelistic efforts. Absolutely. You know, it reminds me of Luke chapter 18, beginning in in verse 9, all the way through 15, 16, 17, I believe, somewhere somewhere in there. But um, it's the Pharisee and the publican. And uh, the the individual, the, the Pharisee, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. Or I'm not like this or that or so on. He goes on to list his resume. And what we don't want to do is give someone a resume. It's a false sense of hope. And then you get to the the publican, and, and he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can't even look up to heaven. And Jesus, to your point, like you just said, um, Jesus says that He walked away justified, and so it's important to point out that you can't have a resume. It's important that we don't equip people with a resume, but it's also important that we talk about how you get to justification, or how you how you how there is hope, how there is peace with God. Romans Romans five one right. We want that totality in the in the gospel presentation. So just knowing that. Any other do's and don'ts that you think are worth covering? Right. We we kind of covered the gamut there, but. Anything else to think of uh, on that topic? Oh, sure. I think, uh, you know, I think that sometimes it
1: just depends on what context you're in. Uh, It's one thing to do evangelism, um, let's say, as a ministry of the local church where you go out and do evangelism. It's another thing if you're doing evangelism in the context of your own family uh, or even extended family and friends and neighbors. I mean, all of that changes the dynamic of some do's and don'ts. Um, I would not. I would not do with certain family members and friends what I would probably do. Let's say in the context of open air preaching. Obviously, in a more intimate relationship with somebody, you want to be a bit more diplomatic. You want to be more gracious. You want to be more um, more willing to just be personable and empathetic towards who they are yeah. and what they're going through. And I think there's a way to do that, Ryan, without ever compromising, without ever slipping into some sort of easy believism type gospel, or without compromising the gospel message. And so I just think context is really crucial. Um, And also, I think as you relate to people, you know, this this point I think we can undermine so much and so easily. Um, People know I did a film years ago. Uh, called unpopular and part of the film features Paul Washer saying uh, something along the lines of you know being empathetic towards people and saying i you are wrong even as i am wrong before god and really emphasizing this sort of you know corporate condition of humanity before god and showing people it's not just we're not it's not just an attack upon you personally but it's something fundamental to the whole human race, and uh, and not right. not not uh, not neglecting that. And I would just say do's and don'ts. I would I would give a strong. Um, I'd I'd want to put a lot of emphasis on this do, on this advice, and mm-hmm. that is to say that we need to do a better job at becoming skillful listeners. Mm-hmm. Francis Schaeffer who in his uh in his ministry way back in the 60s and 70s a lobby in the Swiss Alps and stuff you know he would he would have these conferences and he have these getaways and this retreat center and you know, he would do a lot of apologetics training there and things like that and so people would flock to Francis Schaeffer for uh, seeking for spiritual guidance and and counsel and Francis Schaeffer once fam- famously said I wish that I had more time with each individual person he said I would listen for 5 I would listen for 45 minutes and I would talk for 5 minutes. And 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 I know what he's saying there. He's saying that it's so effective and potent to listen to people as they're t- as they are speaking to you on a spiritual level. I think there's something really remarkable about listening to people because then the person is forced, in a sense, to listen to themselves and to conf- and to confess things about themselves, and it and it actually allows you then to speak more effectively into their life. And I know that I've been I've been very guilty of this myself of just trying to hurry up and rush the conversation to my next point on apologetics or hurry up and rush the conversation to the next thing I want to talk about, you know, but a lot of times that may not be as effective in the moment as just listening to them and being willing to empathize with who they are as sinners and and just just I think the Christian of all all people in the world should be the most empathetic. We understand sin. More than anyone. <laughs> yeah. How much more therefore yeah. should we be empathetic towards fellow sinners to say, Man, I, I get it. I understand <laughs> yeah. you know, I may not have done exactly what you've done, but your sin is in league with my sins. And yeah. I totally understand. So I think listening is a huge component. Um so there's there's definitely there's definitely those kind of those kind of issues, um, Ryan. And I think one more that I would mention, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but I would say following up with people is a a lost art. uh, Where the Puritans, in a day gone by, they would follow up with people um, and would try to catechize the sinner, would literally try to sit with a sinner, an unbeliever, and walk them through the faith systematically and would, want to, and would want to reason with them more methodically about their worldview and about Christian doctrine and bringing Christianity to bear. And so I think Starbucks has a purpose, and it's not just so that baristas can wear a, a, a rainbow pin. I think it's so that we can meet with unbelievers there and have a follow-up conversations
0: with them about the most important things in the world. Yeah, no doubt, and and it's you know going back to your point on listening, it's not as if you have to address every single topic they they may have in response, and you know going back to what Francis Schaefer was saying as well, if and only in that five minutes you get to speak all the solution to every single problem that they could list out in that 45 minutes is going to be the same thing. It's going to be the gospel and the proper presentation of the gospel throughout your diligent listening and in your diligent follow-up. It's going to be bringing them back to a biblical worldview that centers on the gospel. That is and forever will be the only solution and And it's not to say you can't talk about anything else, right, or relate to them. We're not trying to say you can rigidly only talk about the gospel. But in your listening and in your offering of a solution, it's so significant that the gospel remains at the center stage. So we don't veer off and try to figure out how we're we're solving their problems as the means to the end and the end itself. Meaning the gospel is out of there or, I don't know, someone needed help with their they needed someone to talk to, and you talked to that person. But the gospel presentation never makes it to the scene. All you did was help them in that moment. So I'd say, in your listening and in, in your being patient and your follow through, get get the gospel in there right. Um, the, the Lord will allow a time to to present it, and that conversation will happen. Does that does that does that make sense? What I'm what I'm getting at there? Does that sound fair? Oh, absolutely.
1: I think it also comes down to an issue of faith. That you actually Mm. trust the Lord, (laughs) right, in the time that God gives you to speak to somebody to communicate that. And I think so many times we have this sense of urgency, and that's good, but we don't want to have a sense of urgency to the point where we're paranoid, and we're stepping over people, we're cutting people off, because we think we better hurry up and get this off our chest, or we better hurry up and check this off, this next item on the theological, evangelistic, apologetic list— Okay. But but in a sense trust God be be a bit more resigned to the sovereignty of God and believe that the time and the words that he's giving you to speak in that moment to that person are sufficient
0: and that God is going to use your witness as he sees fit. So I think a lot of it comes down to faith. Yeah, no doubt. That's a that's a great point. Right? We're not um we don't have to be a wise psychologist or a wise offer of advice, right? And I'm not saying to not offer advice, again, not trying to be rigid, but but we're to trust Christ in, in this matter, and, um, and you know, that has a lot to do with the good works that he planned beforehand, right? The, the gospel is center in, in, in all of that, in serving and loving our, our neighbor as ourselves, right? We do that through the gospel and listening there, so there's... You know, COVID COVID happened to to kind of take us in another direction, right? Now it's almost been three years since the well, two and a half years, right? Where next year will be be three years since the event itself. It's provided a number of challenges. What do you think those challenges still are today? Um, at maybe as kind of follow on uh, repercussions from COVID, or I guess just anything in general, right? Uh, what what are those challenges today in sharing the gospel? that are unique to our time zone our our times specifically mm-hmm. no that's yeah i think the covid fundamentally changed things
1: and mm-hmm. i know early on in the in the pandemic or whatever it was <laughs> you know whatever <laughs> happened there brother <laughs> it, it it really put people at a at a place where i mean we're talking about the entire world being forced to wear masks and not talk to each other, stay six feet apart from one another. I mean, what kind of phobia do you think we injected into society with doing something like that? And so people became much less apt to want to talk to you face-to-face, much less apt to want to take a gospel track from your hand because it could have a virus or something, you know, and get them sick. And so it certainly presented those kind of challenges, you know. But I think today— Looking at modern challenges that, that the church faces is, yes, we still have kind of the residue of COVID and the scar that ha- that, that has left on society, but man, we, we're facing a whole host of issues in the 21st century. Um, obviously, we can talk about sexuality and how daunting uh that issue is in the culture we can talk about the identity crisis that's going on in the culture today and uh you know the gender confusion uh you know all of that stuff and just getting to anthropology what man is what what is the nature of man and what is the purpose of man um i think that is a fundamental issue that will get more and more important um, as we go deeper into a future that is getting ready to be full of things like v r virtual reality, where your online identity i mean we thought that social media has done a number on society in terms of having a having a online presence, a profile, having some kind of social Presence, uh, who you really are, sharing your experience, sharing yourself online. I mean, wait until everyone in society is operating off of an avatar half the time. I mean, can you imagine what that will do to the worldview and the mindset of young gener, you know, the young generation growing up now? I mean, I just saw a brother from church sent me a link showing that uh, Walmart is now. Welcoming you to get on their Metaverse platform and to immerse yourself into uh, the Walmart experience and to connect with other people in Walmart. It just, and that's going to be everywhere. It's just going to be Walmart. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be the way that you do school, the way that you do work, the way that you engage in entertainment, the way that you do politics. It's just going to be a virtual World, And we're going to develop a new vocabulary. This vocabulary already exists in the technology community, the futurist community, where we'll have VR versus PR. We're going to have the virtual world versus the physical world. We're going to have the virtual world versus the quote unquote real, real world. It's interesting how that language is right now being cultivated in the literature. And that is all going to be sprung on society. I mean, they were talking about VR and metaverse technology. They were talking about that decades ago. And now, Ryan, we're all talking about that, that language. That's a language that you could only get in certain futurist literature. And now it has become ubiquitous. Well, that is obviously just preparing us for the actual uh, uh, virtual reality society. Where these terms, where these terms will also become ubiquitous, along with the reality of that kind of technology, uh, as well. Uh, and so, this is why I developed this whole notion of a new apologetics.
0: Yeah, and and for those of you who might be new or maybe need a refresher, the new apologetics actually started off on the Red Grace Media YouTube channel. There's an entire series there, a video series that dives into a lot of what pastor ramos was just discussing so so head over to the youtube channel and look at some of the historical playlists there and and no doubt the new apologetics will be an episode or episodes in and of themselves that uh that will, will go on here and maybe we can even rehash some of the topics and revisit some updates to to previous videos you've done there i, I think that would be very insightful for for our newer viewers but it also um It also brings us on the topic of apologetics in general, both new apologetics and, you know, our traditional apologetics, and what role do both of those still have in evangelism today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there has been—I mean, the whole burden of a new apologetics, Ryan, is to say that I think what we've noticed in the last three decades, okay, is something of a shift— in apologetics, where I don't believe that looking, staring deeper and deeper into the twenty first century, that what we're really going to be confronting on the corner of the street is going to be some Marian dogma that was pontificated by a pope, okay? Or we're, gonna, you know, what I'm saying, or we're going to be arguing about some ancient manuscript of the Bible. Okay, I think those kinds of apologetical uh conversations will always happen, but again, I think the new apologetics has a a different focus it, If I may, Ryan, I just want to read my mission statement that I drew up mm. for the new apologetics um, this is yeah, this is what I, this is how I essentially define the mission statement of the new apologetics as I see it. The New Apologetics exists to confront the challenges facing the Church in the 21st century by responding to the emergence of globalism, futurism, transhumanism, pagan spirituality and sexuality with a robust theology that is rooted in the eschatological superstructure of Scripture and the theology of the image of God. In, pro- in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ while the earth remains. Now, we, people would say, well, that's a mouthful. It's a mouthful, but honestly, um, I think every bit of that is so important. Eschatology, Brian, as I see it, is the future of apologetics. Talking to people about their destiny talking to people about a new world, talking to people about progress, advancement, enhancement. This is the language of the 21st century. And that can come in a myriad of ways. All of them are old. Look, when I talk about a new apologetics, Ryan, I'm not saying we're ditching the old apologetics. I'm not saying get rid of your Bonson books, your Van Til books, get rid of your books on textual criticism and bibliology. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that a new layer has been added. Much of it has to do with globalism. Much of it has to do with technology. And much of it has to do with the advancement of a pagan spirituality. And when I talk about the eschatological superstructure of the Bible, I'm saying we approach we approach apologetics understanding the alpha and the omega. Pardon the pun, James White, but you know we we, we approach the alpha and the omega point of the Bible as absolutely essential for the Christian worldview, the worldview of the Bible, and we talk about the image of God. Explicitly, because the image of God as well, Ryan, is not just useful for debating abortion and talking about man having dignity, but it is useful to talk about how is man going to be perfected and how is man going to actually progress. The way that our culture is telling us that man is going to progress is through the progress of evolution. That we are going to self-evolve, that we're going to enhance ourselves, and that kind of rhetoric, in my opinion, can only be met with a thorough and robust understanding of the image of God.
0: Yeah. It's such a heavy topic, isn't it? It's something that affects us at the local church level uh, on a global scale, right? The local church in each contextual region and— um you know these topics like new apologetics you're not going to find them at every local church and um and you, you we need online resources we need more of our our faithful pastor teachers to be talking about them and so how do we think about evangelism and the local church right and and let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit how do these two things connect and how can a church improve on what is probably often neglected in, in ministry, right? Namely, the church engaging in evangelism.
1: Oh yeah, brother, tell me about it. There was a master seminary, you know, MacArthur Seminary down in uh, Southern California. Mm-hmm. There was a master seminary graduate who went back and preached to the graduates um, who uh, who were getting ready to go off into ministry. And he told them upon graduating, having been now a pastor for a while, he went back and he told them, brothers, there are two things that will almost immediately go after you become a pastor. Number one, prayer. Number two, evangelism. And I thought, what a remarkable warning and what a remarkable exhortation, what a good exhortation for these young pastors heading off into the ministry to be reminded of two crucial aspects of the minister's life, prayer and evangelism, and how quickly those things vanish once you get in the ministry itself. And I'm reminded of what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. You know, we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Ryan, because there we have the famous words, preach the word in season and out right? And man, I tell you what, expository uh, volumes and homiletics volumes have been written, you know, based on that one verse (laughs) there in Timothy. But if you go down to the context, the Apostle Paul ends the section by telling Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And I've actually seen where some uh, people who are trying to grapple with that reduce evangelism i kid you not there's a commentary i have where the 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 commentator reduces that passage that verse to saying that oh that's just that's just referring to preaching in the church <laughs> that, that that when paul says do the work of an evangelist he's just referring to the, to to timothy preaching expository sermons And that that is sufficient to fulfill doing the work of an evangelist. I personally disagree. Uh, I think the pastor—I mean, think who's writing this? It's Paul. (laughs) You know, he doesn't just write expository sermons to stand behind a pulpit. He's often doing the work of the evangelist. Where on a boat? Uh, you know, before shipwrecking, uh, you know, uh, out in the marketplace, Acts chapter 17, you know, uh, in prison, the Roman guard, you know, I mean, he's all over yep. the world doing evangelism. Um, and so we can't just reduce the—and so I, a lot of this, I lay at the feet of pastors, um, that if you want to see evangelism increase in your church, you have to be zealous about it, You have to promote it, and finally, brother, you have to do it. It may not look like everybody else. I'm not saying you have to stand on the street corner and open air preach. You do not have to do that. I'm not saying that you have to carry gospel tracts with you by the thousands, but I am saying the pastor should be known for having an evangelistic edge about him. And that that can become uh, infectious and efficacious in the church. Um, And that that could be something that for the pastor is, um, you know, he takes takes that admonition just as serious as the admonition to preach the word in season and out. So I think something like that begins to challenge us in the right direction.
0: Yeah, it, cert- it certainly does, and you know one thing that I noticed from from our our church at Heritage Grace is that we we have a there's a heavy this may be the wrong way to say this but evangelistic culture right and, and what I'm trying to just say is that we we take it serious from being on the street corner to and well if anyone has ever spent more than thirty seconds with Sister Trish. Your wonderful wife, you will, you will get a crash course 101 on effective evangelism. Um, and it's such a blessing and encouragement. And I'm not advocating that you have to do one over the other or, or a combination of both, or, or maybe it is a combination of both. But to your point, that evangelism becomes effectious uh, and perhaps it helps people who are, uh, maybe a little more introverted and a little more nervous about engaging with people, showing them the dynamics of it's not, it's not you getting up in front of an auditorium preaching the gospel. It can be really truly as simple as you having coffee with someone or a phone call or a text message or an instant message, whatever Excellent. that is, the gospel, you know, like in, engage, engage in that. And um, I would be remiss to say this. We're talking about, We're talking about evangelism in the local church, we're talking about it at a corporate level, we're talking about it one to one between you and someone else. And as as we as we close out here, I want to encourage everyone to also remind also also preach the gospel to yourself and what i mean by that is remind yourself that you were clean you were washed by the blood of christ remind yourself first john 2 if we sin we have an advocate with the father first john 1 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just remind yourself of the core components of the gospel of your salvation and that too will lead you into deeper prayer going back to what you're saying about macarthur and and how he was talking about how prayer goes out the window and evangelism goes out the window Bring yourself into prayer. Preach the gospel to your, or, and When praying to God, preach the gospel, right? Preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was listening recently to uh, to Joel Beakey talk about prayers recommended by, by Jai. And if, if anyone wants to hear this, just search Joel Beakey on YouTube, B-E-E-K-E, Joel Beakey on YouTube, Joel Beakey Prayer, and you'll get a wonderful sermon in there. And I know I'm being a little long-winded here, but my point is this is, Dive into that. Listen to what he's saying on prayer. It'll be so encouraging to you. And in the framework of preaching the gospel to yourself, do that. Be encouraged. And that, too, will help you have a sound preaching of the gospel, a faithful preaching of the gospel, an encouraging preaching of the gospel. And finally, a very restful, in Christ, preaching of the gospel, if that makes sense, right? Less of this, I'm afraid to talk to people, and more of a, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lovingly, joyfully looking to preaching the gospel to someone or sharing the gospel with someone. Yeah. So
1: No, that's excellent. I have, um, a, I have a funny story about Joe Beakey. You know, I've, I've been following Joe Beakey's ministry for almost as long as I've been a Christian. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, I remember he endorsed a book that I, I wrote uh, called Crucified, the Soul of the Gospel, and uh, mm. I remember when I got his endorsement, when he emailed me back with his endorsement, I told my wife, I said, I'm more excited to get his endorsement than to actually write the book.
0: <laughs> I felt it, oh, I felt it more of an
1: accomplishment <laughs> to get Dr. Beaky's endorsement uh, than to write my own book. But no, that's funny. But I'm actually with Dr. Beaky next week uh, at the ARC. Oh, amazing! Uh, so I'll be able to hopefully spend a little time to talk to him again. But uh, love, and that's great. That's absolutely right. I mean, uh, Joel
0: Beeke on prayer,
1: few are mm. better.
0: It's good, really good, very encouraging. Send it to my wife, and it's just it just changes your entire. Out, outlook on it. And we, and we need that, right? We as Christians can be terrible at prayer sometimes, and that should never be a sentence that comes out of anyone's mouth. And it, it gets cringy for me to even say that, but we know that at times we can really struggle with, with prayer. And so, um, don't lose sight of prayer when it comes to evangelism and so on. So, Pastor mm-hmm. Ramos, anything else you'd like to say before we close out here on this very important topic of evangelism?
1: When we think about biblical evangelism, it's always remembered. It's always. Uh, uh, it's always important to keep a couple of things, basic, basic things, in mind. You don't have to be someone you're not. Don't try to master every bit of information and apologetics, the most important thing is to recognize what is the gospel and never to lose sight of that. And then to allow your desperation for the lost to motivate you in the fear of the Lord to be used by the Lord despite whatever level of maturity that you have as a Christian And to be always working on that maturity, of course, your whole life. It's sanctification. But to not allow whatever inadequacies you perceive in yourself to hinder the the simple reality that no matter how... You know, uh, Ryan, you know that I love profound theology. You know how much I love deep theology. And I do. But we can't ever get so deep that we overstep the simple reality that the Christian has the hope that people need. And if you recognize that, let that motivate you to share and don't be crippled by the fear of inadequacy or the fear of man. Trust God uh, in communicating the gospel. And I believe that God will be glorified as a result of that. Mm.
0: Amen. What a glorious topic. This is a very encouraging episode here. And and for you listeners, I hope you found this encouraging. And if you're looking for other podcast episodes and you found this one helpful, please share it. Head over to redgracemedia.com. We've got a full list easily compiled and goes into the entire library of all that we've done in Christ and kingdom and you'll also find episodes there on the new apologetics also head over to our YouTube channel Red Grace Media if you search it on YouTube it'll come up pretty simple there's a nice library of content uh, a lot of which we haven't talked about here but plenty of which we have it just gives you another perspective to consider as well so thank you for joining us today Pastor Ramos thank you for your time as always wonderful episode and we look forward to seeing all of you next time